Well, hey, listen, um, it's getting to be that time of year. Pandemic madness. It's official. We're looking for new names. We got a little uh we got a little heat from some of our Aussie mates, eh? Last year we got a couple comments that it was very Americanized version of pandemic madness. But we did put it out there to the people that hey, let us know who should be in. It's not our fault that we had to pick all the names overnight, basically. So we are looking for recommendations to make this year's Pandemic Madness 2021 tournament even better than the 2020 tournament. So that would be by having more Australians. Is that correct? And or Europeans okay. and and people yeah. from all over the world. Jacques you know, fucking Cousteau is European, goddammit. That, that's a good point. How much more do that they is want? A very, very good point, actually. <laughs> and we did have plenty of people from around the world but obviously not enough so damn it get in there and nominate some people get in there and nominate some people so we can make this year's even better i nominate olivia newton john that's that's because you like your diving to get to physical. get physical that's right you were i could see the gears churning there for a second you're trying to come up with a catchy little witty reply to that I don't want to get grease on it. That's even worse. That's an even stupider one. <laughs> yeah, you're going to give me a hard time. <laughs> a lot of people don't know uh, what was that. What was that one movie she did um, with Gene Kelly? Xanadu. You remember Xanadu? Probably one of the worst Xanadu. worst movies ever made. It's it's got to yeah. be in the top top fifty at least worst movies ever made. Well, listen. I know, I know you're all into this Olivia Newton-John yeah. talk, but we are hopelessly <laughs> devoted to cave diving month, damn it. We got to get to some cave diving. The hits keep coming. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with getting physical Brando and hopelessly devoted to you, James. You better shape up. <laughs> and it is, can you believe it's already the second half of International Cave yeah, Diving time Month? flies. I can't believe it. I mean, it, it's like I blinked my eyes and it was pre-COVID-19. <laughs> I was just like walking around doing stuff. Imagine that freedom to walk around and do stuff. Uh, it's like just a moment ago, I didn't have to make an appointment <laughs> to go have some lunch. Yeah. But hey, let's get to talking about something that can take our minds away from the pandemic and back to something that we both love, and that's cave diving. You know, last week we talked about the lure of cave diving and that old skin diving article. And I, I, like, I think where we went with the later part of that article was a lot about, you know, education in general and how if in those days there was that divide where the industry really wanted to put that line up between learning to scuba dive was one thing and learning to cave dive is something that the crazies did. 
And at the same time, you know, cave divers were cave divers and they learned cave diving. And that's really all they did. I mean, they were cave divers through and through. And we had made the mention that if the two talked a little bit more at that time and the the cave diving mentality of learning to dive integrated more in the 70s and 80s than it did, how learning to scuba dive today would be a completely different game than it is right now. Because now there is the communication and you're, and you're seeing over the last decade a lot of those principles that we've looked at for a long time on the cave diving end are now starting to finally integrate into just rec- recreational, normal learning to scuba dive. Right? Situational awareness and gas management and and team organization in the water, buoyancy control, balance, trim, like all those things are now becoming standard in scuba, whereas for the longest time it was just ignored. Yeah, and I think those those that were clamoring for for the open water and uh, others outside of cave diving to kind of get on the page of cave diving were kind of being uh, condemned a little bit. They were getting a lot of flack for saying that. Well, yeah, because there was a time where it was all about sales. Really? And, <laughs> and, and if you could just, if you could just design a jacket. To look like to look like it was a technical diving jacket, that was actually smarter than actually building something that was utilitarian for that actual wow. purpose. <laughs> yeah, but I think that goes a little bit to to show how naive the consumer was. They're a still little naive. bit too. Right? They still don't don't understand. That's well. That's why I think that veteran divers who who have been around and and witnessed what was going on then have to do like what we're doing, which is speaking our mind about it and getting people educated. Hopefully our show attracts a lot of new... Damn right. That's (laughs) why we're here, people. That's why you've got the Great Dive Podcast. If we can attract uh, new divers to listen so they don't, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So they come on here and hear us, well, hear me bitch and moan, hear you speak so eloquently. Um... But talking about, you know, the motivation behind the open water programs and the regular recreational scuba uh, education system has always been more money, get more people in, make it quicker, faster, easier, and get more money. So they don't know when they come into it, there's another way until they get into it and then they start to hear people. But you have to fully get into the activity to know that this is out there. You know what I mean? And then by yeah, that time, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is by, by that time it's too late because you've already invested thousands in right. classes, thousands in equipment. And you can understand why people that have been doing it a while, you know, for a long time in the past would say, ah, what I've been doing is perfectly fine. I'm just sticking with it. I'm not going to start all over again, which unfortunately is what you kind of had to do in a lot of, a lot of ways. A lot of times people just quit diving because it's not. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not fun when you're not comfortable. When you have that mentality, I just want to live. Or you're going and you're doing silly shit that really is putting you at risk, but you have no idea you're doing silly shit that's putting you at risk because you you know everything and nothing could happen as long as you don't get water in your mask and you don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, hey, listen, I have here a fantastic article that was written by the 2020. Pandemic Madness champion, your buddy and mine, good old Larry Green, who he wrote this article uh, a couple years back, back in uh, 2008. Dan did a a multi-part series about cave diving. And this was kind of the the wrap-it-up article called Out of the Darkness and Into Safety. Nice. <laughs> Sent, uh, I, I um, think you're looking for a, a witty little snappy retort. <laughs> no, uh, out of the darkness and into safety. Sent over to us by our other good friend. 
Jamie English Thanks, from Jamie. Canada. Thanks, Jamie. And, and Jamie Wolfie. and Wolfie. Um, our Canadian friends. Well, then you are prejudiced because you call them our Canadian friends. And not just our friends, Jimmy. You don't remember that commercial, do you? No. Grandpa and the grandson. They're in a rowboat fishing out in a lake. Billy says I'm prejudiced, he says to his grandpa. Oh, really? Who's Billy? Billy's my Jewish friend. Well, then you are prejudiced. Because you call them your Jewish friend, and not just your friend. So, James, you are prejudiced. Because you called them our Canadian friends. And not just our friends. You son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> if my Plymouth friend would shut the hell up for a minute so I can start this. <laughs> I'm offended. Uh, I'm offended. So... I can't even right now. <laughs> As, As if. if. You did not. Oh, you did not just go there. Okay. Okay. Enough. <laughs> so this is a so this is a really cool yeah. article about diving in general, which I think we're gonna I think we're gonna keep turning the screw on this more and more so that people realize that there's diff, there's a difference in instructors and there's a difference in education. And some of us believe in the value of experience first and the ability to do it yourself first and to use your brain. And then there's another school that thinks you can just buy your way into it. All. You mean you can fix anything with uh, equipment? <laughs> yeah. Right. To drive home a point. Cave diving instructors often use narratives. These stories usually revolve around an accident or an incident involving a cavern dive or a cave dive. In this story, an open water instructor brought his students to the crystal clear springs of Florida to complete their dives for scuba certification. The instructor had diving experience only in open water diving. He had little knowledge of the specifics involved with diving in caves and caverns, as subsequent events showed. But he had a great know-it-all attitude, which kind of pulled him through. <laughs> you forgot to add that. <laughs> hey, listen, he paid the extra $150 for the master scuba diver trainer <laughs> rating. And fudged a bunch of logbook <laughs> numbers to uh, to get those certs for boat divers. He's got the jacket to prove it. So immediately after completing the final certification dive, the instructor led the students to the mouth of a nearby cavern for a tour. Pleased with their success, the students were eager to explore. At this particular location, the spring vent opens into a cavern with clear, flowing water and a bottom of sand, gravel, and rock. The bottom composition is one of the few where new divers, despite their poor buoyancy control and clumsy finning techniques, would not stir the silt and affect the visibility in the cavern. Because of the rapidly flowing and cleansing water coupled with the heavy sand and gravel floor, it was easy to swim over without disturbing it. Even if it were stirred harshly, the sand bottom would not adversely affect the diver's visibility or pose problems in finding a safe exit. Yeah, the, like the water coming out mm -hmm. of Ginny is, right, especially like if you go over and uh, go to the ballroom yes. side, right, where open waters often go in and they, they'll do their little open water dive. Even if you went to the mouth of, of where that cave opening is, it's, there's a metal steel great. fencing yeah, yeah. grate that you can't get but to. But you can right? feel the flow. So, but you can, hold, you can hold on to that thing and have... A billion gallons of water. A trillion. Blast you. A quintillion gallons in the course of your dive, right? And the visibility is going to stay crystal clear no right. matter what. Because anything that did get stirred up is just going to get blown right the heck out of that room within seconds. Right. That's the, you know, double-edged sword of that high flow. Is It's always beautiful viz, but uh, if, if you don't have any technique and you don't have good streamlined equipment configurations, you're going to have, uh, you're going to work. You're going to run into issues. And the other issues being, 
if you're expecting that flow to always keep it happy and wonderful <laughs> and then you go to a place like larry says here other caves and caverns require much greater care in navigating if for example a system has little or no water movement and a light organic bottom composition all it takes is one good fin slap to the bottom to stir up a cloud of sediment with little or no water movement the light bottom composition will stay suspended in the water making it impossible to see the light of the exit with new divers and especially those without specific training in navigating overhead environments, the lack of visibility can cause panic and further disturbance of the water. Easy to get lost. I like that in the the cave diving classes that I've had. Not all of them, but uh, some of them. They, they have that little chart with the different bottom compositions, and they give the approximate times that the water will clear up. You know, if it's just still standing water and they have sand, silt, dirt, clay, the different bottom compositions. Yeah, yeah. You do this in a clay bottom, it's not going to clear up for months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I think anybody that dove in a natural setting. Versus a pool. (laughs) Versus a pool. Like many of your master scuba instructors. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Like many of your course directors out there. (laughs) Or it hasn't done like everything in, you know, a hundred feet of visibility open water where, you know, the, the, the environment is all always cleansing itself. Like if you go to a lot of the training sites, a lot of the training quarries, you know, if you show up on Thursday or Friday, there's often in our Midwest environment, 50, 60, 80, sometimes a hundred feet of visibility. One even. Yeah. You show up. You show up in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> Saturday on a Saturday or Sunday. Forget about it. You can't see it. You can't see a damn yeah. thing because of that very thing, right? A, a, a misplaced fin kick, bad, bad trim, poor techniques lend to destroying the bottom, and that makes in open water it just makes for uh, a, a crappy day of diving. But in in the uh, situation that we're about to hear, it can go even worse. He says, on the way home, two of the students stopped by another Florida spring where they decided to use their new certification for a fun dive. This particular open water basin had a small cavern entrance with an even smaller cave passage deeper in the cavern. Due to the spring's low flow, it had a finer and more organic material on the bottom. The two students entered the cavern, silting the bottom behind them as they penetrated the cavern. The recovery team would speculate that the two, seeing clear water in front of them, continued deeper into the system. They moved ahead until they could go no farther, and eventually they ran out of air. One body was found at the extreme end of a passage. The other was nearby. A lot easier to do than people guess. Or think a easy to get lost, and if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, if you if you told this story on day one of your week your weekend open water class, the shop owner would probably flip his lid. He would go. He would lose his goddamn mind that you're telling us a, a scare story like this. Yet your first day of a cave class, you're probably going to hear numerous stories like this. Yeah. And the purpose isn't to necessarily scare you. It's to show you the reality of breaking rules can have a serious consequence. Well, I think it's to grab you and wake you up to the fact that you have to respect this type of diving and environment even more so, you know, for your own safety, not just for protection of the environment. It's for your own safety and others. But but don't you feel that that perfectly relates to learning to scuba dive in general because you are yeah. oh yeah even in even in 30 feet of water you are in a harsh environment where nature is not on your side right yeah i mean i concur 1000% but that's not the marketing viewpoint that you are told to adopt when you become an instructor as a matter of fact you're told the opposites, like don't say the D word. Right. It's all candy marshmallow sunrises where we go. Is there such a thing as right. candy marshmallow sunrises? Only. Uh, yes. Yes. 
It's like Delta or uh, it's like United. We only fly the friendly skies. That's why we do not land in Newark, New Jersey. We only, Newark. We only why did you just throw New skies. Jersey, Newark in particular, like just chucked them under the bus? You know. have you ever been first, to Newark? First... Oh, no, you, I never have. You are a prejudice. Canadian friends, Newark, New Jersey's a shithole. You just come on, man. Billy told me about his Newark <laughs> friend one time. I've never, I've never wanted to go. That's <laughs> no, Newark. Larry says clearly these deaths were unnecessary. With proper education, equipment, and attitude, they were preventable. Scare stories by instructors generally make an indelible impression on students. Such accounts also include real-life stories of trained cave divers who perish. So there should be a strong emphasis on environment in in your general learning class. Right from day to one. To show how serious things can be when you're outside. And they tell you in your basic open water class that, hey, you should be diving in an environment similar to where you were trained. But then immediately when you <laughs> you go on your first trip. We're going 100 feet. They take you. Uh, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be fine. Follow the dive master. You'll be fine. And, and we joke about it all the time saying that that general open water class is a certification to follow the dive master in, th- in 30 feet of water. I mean, that that's really the extent of the the training that you have, even at your even at an, at an advanced class. It's still your you can follow the dive master on a little bit more advanced dives. And the issue that that you know we have gotten a little bit of heat about over the last year or so from time to time about giving instructors a hard time saying that the instructors should have more experience going in. It's it's that very thing. Like it's when the instructor doesn't know, how in the world is the new diver ever going to know? Yeah, you can't pass on knowledge, information, and experience that you don't have. You, you know, it's impossible. Right, exactly. And this is what Larry says here. He says it's the instructor. He says in the the previous two parts of this series that Dan did, uh, they detailed trends in the numbers of fatalities associated with cave and cavern dives also noting characteristics of those fatalities like whether the divers were trained or if they ran out of breathing gas and why over the last 30 years they were canadian whether they were from newark (laughs) or canada whether they flew delta (laughs) or united whether they had split fins or not yeah all the particulars necessary Today, he says, with more training agencies, certified cave instructors, and availability of technical scuba gear, cave training is easier to find and afford. There is a catch to this, however. There are inconsistencies with guidelines and minimum standards required for overhead training. The quality of training depends more on the quality of instructor than on the training agency. Cave instructor quality varies among agencies as well as within the same agency. True. Larry's right. I mean, everybody's been saying that for a, a billion years. On, 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 on the cave side as well as on the recreational side, right? The Patty shop, the SSI shop, the Nawi shop, the YMCA instructors in the day, the NASDS instructors in the day. They've all said it's the instructor, not the agency. So Larry goes on here to explain a couple of things that should be considered as a student for you to become the best diver you can be with, with knowing the value of experience and time and actually living, living that diving life, living the diving life, being a, being a diver, a diver to be a diver versus to do it once on a cruise ship and maybe you'll get back to it in, you know, a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, that's just called you got a certification. That's not being a diver. Agreed. Right. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I understand that some students don't know that they want to be a diver at first. 
it, it takes him a couple years of doing so. And I, I think just what, what you and I have said for a while has been when they do finally get there, though, it's a it's unfortunate that they have to learn all over. To again. a certain extent, and, yeah. They have to yeah, basically yeah. start over again. I mean, you've got the some of the basic knowledge down, but once you start learning proper buoyancy control and trim and propulsion and awareness and gas management and a, a logical equipment configuration and streamlining, you, you go, why wasn't any of this in day one? Because it could have been used very well in open water day one, all of that material, yeah, right? Exactly, right, right. And if you look at it from the other point is – you know, if, if I come up to you and I go, yeah, I'm a diver. I've been diving for 10 years. Oh, well, we're going to do this dive here coming up. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you guys there. Right? And I unzip my bag <laughs> and pull out my, my Air McDoodle yeah. and my split fins. And then you go, hey, let's put together a gas plan. And I go. I'll come back with 500. A, 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 a what? I'll be back here with 500. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What is all this stuff you're doing? I've never experienced it. And you go. I'm I'm planning a dive to 30 feet. Yeah. Students will benefit more when learning from instructors who have extensive technical and cave diving experience, Larry says. The level of experience has a direct impact on the quality of training. Agreed wholeheartedly. And that's that's kind of your point all these all this time when you're talking about the 100 dive and you're an instructor, that's the problem. It's a huge problem. You have a big ego, uh, and you have nothing to back it up with. Experience helps make the best teachers. If you're interested in cavern or cave diving, learn about curricula offered by various agencies and research the background of prospective instructors. Choose wisely, he says. You will be putting your future welfare into that instructor's hands. Very important decision. You know, going into cave diving, who your instructor is, or going into technical dive. But you could easily apply that to open water. Easily apply it to open water. You know, learning, you know, for a, for a long time, shop owners would look at the instructor with cave training as like an eye roll of like, oh, God. Son of a just, bitch. Just... Just sell them the dry snorkel <laughs> and the most expensive fin and, and move them, you know, move them through the system. You know, that's how we keep the doors open. Yet, like what we're looking at here and what Larry's saying is, no, that, that experience is going to pay off to that student in the long run. Sure, in the, in the course of the weekend class where you're trying to knock it out in two days to get the lowest common denominator quality instruction – it could be bad for numbers, right? You probably don't want that instructor with cave experience and technical experience trying to teach a class in 15 minutes on a cruise ship. It's never going to happen. It's going to be un, it's going to be unproductive. But if you want real education, you're going to have to get it from somebody that has real experience. And it takes time. <laughs> That's all there is to it. You're in a, a weekend class going to be a rough one to jam any real good information. I would say that's not impossible, a weekend class. It's, it's hardcore. No, I don't think so either. It's hardcore and it's rare that you'll have a good weekend class because an experienced, knowledgeable instructors, they know they, they have a hard time jamming all they want to give you into a weekend. Yes, and I, I think one-on-one, two-on-one, maybe... 10 students, 12 or 14, because you got a couple assistants in the water with you, blasting through skills. No way. It just doesn't This is happen. just as dependent on the student as it is on the instructor in that, in that type of situation. You know, learning a, gr- a good class over a weekend, you have to be the right student. Right? No doubt about it. Like, could you imagine, uh, you know, one hour in and uh, you're still <laughs> Can I you're have a break? <laughs> We have a break. I gotta pee. <laughs> I gotta go pee. I, I don't like clearing. My, I don't like clearing my mask. Like any of that gets thrown in there, and that's just that's a huge curveball for getting that class done. And all the rest of the students suffer as well. He says, "What agency should I train with?" It's a question I hear often in my position as a training director. My answer is this: the quality of the individual instructor 
has the priority over agency allegiance. The best certifying agencies depend on the quality and experience of their instructors. Yeah. Right? Meaning the best certifying agencies are not certifying instructors (laughs) with only 100 (laughs) dives under their belt. Yes, they have much more stringent demands and and higher qualifications they have a a respect they have a respect for experience growth and building it's built into their their instructional system the instructors must maintain experience now again when we look at what he was talking about in the beginning of this story about scare stories he subtitles this next section deadly horizons and you have a, a, an instructor with the, the value and the experience of Larry is not afraid to say a number of potentially dangerous trends are looming. Let's take a look at them. Looming. And the first and foremost he comes up with is technology. New technology, he says, offers tempting options such as the use of diver propulsion vehicles, and rebreathers, as well as synthetic gas mixtures such as Trimix, Nitrox, and Oxygen. The problem arises, he says, when cave divers progress too rapidly. Today, freshly minted cave divers are easily going where explorers pushed the envelope just a few decades ago. Yeah. Yeah, Right out of open, or right out of uh, cave one class, or cave class there. Shooting in, yeah. They've got a rebreather, they've got a scooter, oh. and they're thousands of feet back without any experience to back up where they right. are. Right? It's it's the, it's the old, you know, I want to get to the end. I want to do the big mm-hmm. dive. I want the T-shirt. I need to do these dives in order to do this. I need this certification, and this guy will do it quicker and easier than anyone right else. so why wouldn't i do the quick right. easy one so i could do the big dive immediately exactly wow. rather than like a a quality experienced instructor is going to make you put in the work he's going to make you earn yeah you know two thousand feet back in a cave he's going to make you earn you know 200 feet of depth or even on that beginning open water level he's going to make you earn a hundred feet of water so that when you get to that hundred feet of water, you didn't just get there for two minutes of a wall dive. He's going to make you earn it so that you could actually stay there and do something in 200 feet of water or a hundred feet of water. I should say that you can do something in a hundred feet of water properly with the right gear, with the right brain, Right, being aware. It, all that stuff's very difficult to, uh, you know, to teach if you don't have it yourself. <laughs> he says, divers once required a great deal of experience, physical abilities, and discipline. Now, <laughs> this can be performed on a Sunday, a sunny yeah. Sunday oh, afternoon yeah. during a quick scooter trip to the end of the, end of the line in a cave. Those in the cave community call this style of diving too fast too far, too soon. Mm-hmm. And there's a respect for that mm-hmm. in, in some circles. <laughs> not in, the, not in the, the big picture of the industry, right? They, wanna, they want everything happy and rosy and wonderful and anybody can do it. And I get that on, a, on an economic level, but in the long run, it doesn't pay the dividends they think it's going to pay. No, I mean, we're, I think we're seeing that now in the, in the diving community as numbers shrink. And this was even pre-COVID, numbers shrink, right? The people coming to learn to dive and stay diving, that number's dwindled to... Correct, and it always yes. has been. I mean, the, the, the dropout rate Not always, for the scuba, the scuba diver is nearly 50% right off the get-go. Right. And then, like, over the course of five years, it's oh, ridiculously high. 50 to 90%. Yeah. He next brings up gas mixtures. The original cave explorers mostly breathed plain air. And they were lucky they had some access to some welding grain oxygen for decompression once in a while. 
Now, he says, a plethora of gas mixtures are readily available around the world, rapidly increasing the number of mixtures that can be used during a dive. Divers lacking experience and a thorough understanding of mixed gas diving procedures often use it just because they can. Errors in gas switching have resulted in fatalities because divers breathed the wrong gas at the wrong Mm -hmm. depth. simple mistake to do if you don't if you don't have the right training and uh, a protocol in place and, and knowledge of how to use it yeah this is why there's value to getting the experience on one bottle mm-hmm. and then to two <laughs> you mean take your time work up to those things yeah too fast too far too soon maybe He mentions pre-existing medical conditions next. Larry says, with all the enhancements, contemporary cave diving becomes attractive to a variety of people. Male, female, young, old, overweight, or out of shape, they all hear the siren song of the springs. This may explain, to some extent, an increase in fatalities in which a contributing factor was an underlying health issue. Beginners or experienced divers who intend to do cave diving should maintain a healthy lifestyle and evaluate their health risks regularly. Divers should never try to exert more in caves than they do in their regular life. <laughs> right, the, the inability, we talk about this a lot in open water, especially in, in cave diving, it's even amplified because of that flow that you were talking yes, about. that's what I was getting at. Right. Double edged. Go ahead. Yeah. No, just double edged sword. It's great. It keeps the viz clear. But if you really don't know what you're doing, that flow is is gonna kill you. It's gonna make you work. Literally, yeah. and that and that's not that's not using a, a <laughs> right. buzzword. That's right. the truth. Right. It's literally going to mm-hmm. kill you. And if you exert yourself on a regular dive, like he says more than you exert yourself in regular life, that literally has the potential of killing you. Like CO2 is no joke to a scuba diver. Yeah, I don't think there's enough emphasis on that in in regular diving class. I mean, every single class, course, specialty, level should be, that should be like day one, sentence one, CO2 is our enemy. CO2 is, you know, the killer. But instead, the talk is Pre-fish. the two hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> split fin. split fins, a snorkel. Yeah, you don't even get into it. Yeah, yeah, it's you. You are having trouble swimming. There's a there's a more expensive fin mm-hmm. with more technology to it to take care right. of that for you, and that's why you have millions of people around the world that love their mm-hmm. split fins. They're so much easier than those old ones that I used to have to use. It, well, it wasn't the fin. It was your inability to know how to properly move that fin. Your trim, your buoyancy control, your propulsion techniques aren't where they should be. Right. Your body mechanic. And it's not – I'm going to go so far as to tell these people it wasn't your fault. No. It was your instructor that didn't even know how to teach you how to properly propel the water from that fin. It's so much easier to go – Dude, we got to be done with class in like an hour and a half. Here's a, here's a split fin. Let's go. Yeah. We got we got 24 skills that we got to knock Just flap out. it back and forth. You, you look at the picture. There there it is. Just wiggle. Yeah. Wiggle your feet. You'll get to the other side of the look, pool. Let's go. We got to. Look at any 70s we gotta dive do, We got to do. Equi- <laughs> uh, we have to do equipment removal replacement. Next, he mentions equipment maintenance. Many cave diving accidents result from poor equipment maintenance, which includes both daily cleaning and upkeep and periodic professional servicing. Divers need to view their equipment for what it is, life support systems. Some equipment maintenance issues involve improper configuration and a lack of knowledge about how all the equipment works. Right? Who's, who's got time to learn how the equipment really works? <laughs> In a, in a normal yeah. class. And you certainly aren't going to learn about it in the yeah. advanced class or the rescue class because you've got your own series of things to learn and, and practice and do in those other classes. You can take the equipment specialty 
for $150. Right. There's a whole there's a whole separate <laughs> class that gets into that. He says good divers will learn how to choose proper equipment, become familiar with all its parts and functions, and establish a proper maintenance routine. What I like the most is he says they will constantly critique that equipment and its configuration to better adapt for their particular types of diving, adhering to chosen standards and avoiding untested modifications. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, like we constantly look at the value of a a well thought out standardized configuration for the very practicality of its consistency versus just adding and adding and adding useless stuff and then taking all that stuff with you on every single dive. Yeah, and believing, you know, that that is the the fix for your issues. And 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 again, it's that viewpoint that equipment will fix your skill issue uh that we really are getting at here. Just throwing more and more equipment. That's easy. That's what the industry kind of promotes. That's what marketing promotes. Oh, you're having an issue here? Just buy this fancy computer by these different fins whatever it may be there's always an equipment fix you know get bigger doubles get a rebreather go side mount all this crap right yeah you, you go you go through air too fast rebreather swimming swimming's too hard split fins. <laughs> i don't know do you ever see have you ever seen a cave diver with split fins you've seen them in the cave have you but were they a cave diver i mean <laughs> i've seen them at, at like Ginny ballroom in the open water you know, people playing around there, um, flopping around. But I've I have seen never them. seen a split fin in a high flow cave, really. Well, oh, I, I have, I have. It's and I, I don't, and that just goes to show, like he says in this, you know, uh, said in this article early that you know today there's more and more cave divers and more and more cave instructors, and it's it's happening in the cave world too. That you, you it, yeah, I, I think it's stupid, yeah. yeah. Next, he brings up solo diving. The cave diving community has cave divers who have been diving solo for a long time for many reasons. In case of solo diver deaths, there are no witnesses to tell what went wrong and whether a buddy would have made a difference. In the past 30 years, there were more than 72 fatalities of solo cave divers. Most of them were trained divers. Indeed, 51% of the trained cave divers who have died in caves were on solo dives. Something to be said about that. I mean, that is significant. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that is a huge, you know, smack in the face of the solo diving people right there. That statistic alone, that over 50% of the cave diving fatalities are solo divers. That says something. Should make you think. I mean, uh, we can spend a long time talking about that. And would a buddy have helped versus would a teammate have helped? And the and the value of learning team versus learning have a buddy versus solo. There's a those are three completely different things. Yeah, skill maintenance. Use it or lose it. He says. Skills that are not practiced are skills lost. I have met divers who have returned to Florida Springs after a long as a year away from cave diving. They think they can start off the first dive where they left off from on the previous trip. This is not a good idea, he says. (laughs) No, (laughs) if you haven't used that equipment, you know, it's the same reason I... I wear my twins on dives around, you know, local mud hole dives that I really don't need twins. I don't plan on staying long and I'm not going deep. I don't need, need twins, but I wear them because I got to stay up on them. I, I, it's easy for me to go to a single tank. That's nothing. It'd be, it'd be way easier walking to and from the water, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's not as easy for me to dive single for a while and then jump in and say, I'm going to go cave diving with my twins. Right, exactly. That's why you see divers at the training quarry, even they're only doing a 30, 40-foot dive. It's to stay familiar and fresh and, and work through the issues that you would work through. When you go out and you do that 100, 150, 200-foot dive in, in the real water. Right. Yeah, it's the same reason. I'll bring a sling bottle. I'll bring a... You know, a 40-02 and an 80 stages and 
I work with those all the time in my shallow water, so I'm up on it still. It's not, it's that that familiarity with that particular uh, muscle uh, memory isn't so far away. Yeah, and it's why when you and I go down to Florida again, we're going to get in and do a couple of basic simple dives. We're not going to do a big giant traverse <laughs> after having not yeah. been in the water in a year plus. Let's do a three a triple stager. Uh, <laughs> now, Larry says, I agree with veteran cave diver Jeff Bozanik's stance. In the past, cave divers were cave divers, quote unquote. He says, at one time, the cave diving population was very small, and those who were in this unique fraternity would dive regularly, honing their skills all the time. Cave divers dove caves. That's what they did mm-hmm. all the time. And that's how they kept their skills fresh and ready to go. You have to have a reality of the environment that you're in Mm -hmm. and know when that environment is changing and you have to be able to ease into that adaptation, right? Just because you're a really, really good open water diver where you have the whole ocean to make mistakes, make mistakes with your trim and your buoyancy control. And yeah, you never crashed into the reef one time is a completely different level of buoyancy control to swim inside of a shipwreck. Yeah. And awareness. I mean, you have to know where you're at. The awareness has to be turned on that, that your brain has to be turned on. You're not worried about the, uh, panini girl you left on (laughs) when you left, right? Shit. I'll be right back. (laughs) A misconception, he says, persists that once properly trained, a person will always rise to the occasion in times of stress. While that may be true in rare cases, the reality is skills practiced long ago may have deteriorated over time to the point of being unusable in an emergency. While the experience is compounded, knowledge of our past dives and can be described in words, the level of skills that we achieve in the past does not mean we will perform at the same level a year or two later. After a long absence from cave diving, divers should start slowly and rebuild their skills before resuming cave explorations. And this is what we talk about heavily in the essentials and and the base of what we, you and I have taught in the Mm -hmm. past is that law of recency. Right. You have to do it on a regular basis if you think it's going to just flow out of you naturally. Just because, you know, you you practiced it once and got good at it a couple of years ago does not mean it's just going to come out of you when you need it. You have to stay up and those skills have to be reoccurring and recent. Hmm. For them to even be usable in the face of a real emergency underwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just for, for the dive, for the enjoyment of the dive. I mean, you're not just doing this to, you know, handle emergencies, which, you know, people will argue, well, it'll never happen to me. Sure, it won't. Correct. Uh, and something even as simple as, you know, running the line. Yes. Into a, into a heavy flow. It's a pain in the butt. Simple. But, Throw that skill to any regular open water divers, you know, it, it, can you make it look easy? Yes. But even the most skilled, experienced, you know, cave instructors, they make it look easy, but what they're doing is not simple. Running no. a, a line through a cave entrance in high flow and make it look good and nice and tight and out of the way and all those good things that we'd look for in, in line running. That's not simple. Yeah. No, that takes a ton of work and a ton of practice. I mean, it's really easy to get blown around like a monkey and tang- <laughs> tangled up in line. Yes. Right, trying to do that. Right, so no, but that's why you get everybody's like, eh, you know, I don't want to look like that, so I'm just going to. I'll let somebody gonna, else hope, do it. <laughs> I'm going to let somebody else do it, yeah. Or I'll or, use another line. And somebody, There's already like 20, oh, there's already 20 lines entry in lines just, in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. I hear you. He, uh, he, he moves on to building a foundation for the future. And I, I think Larry right here wraps up a lot of what we've talked about in our show over the, over the last 200-some episodes, uh, a lot of the validation of what we have done and how we have uh, built the foundation of our educational program of the last decade or so. He says, I have developed what I call a control envelope. 
It consists of the basic requirements to become a safe and comprehensive technical slash cave diver. And he's got five main points. Maintain buoyancy, number one. Adjust one's posture to the setting, number two. Number three, use various anti-silting techniques conducive to the environment. Number four, maintain adequate breathing at all times. And five, have a positive attitude. Very good, yeah. Right, those are all the cornerstones of, of our even basic education model is buoyancy control. Always. Mm-hmm. It's rule, that's basically rule one. You, you are always in control of your buoyancy, whether you want to go up, down, wherever. Yes, so that, so that you have the ability to adjust your posture to the setting. Perfect control of your balance, buoyancy, and trim so that you can survive in this environment. And you can relate that to any environment. And that's a huge foundational stone in that pyramid. No doubt about it, yeah. That control of buoyancy. I know most open water classes talk about it, and and they get you to a certain level, but I don't think enough emphasis is on that, personally. Well, of of course not. That's why you and I wouldn't, if that was the case, you and I wouldn't have had people who are already instructors come to those classes that are lacking in that foundation. Right. Yeah, buoyancy control isn't while you're doing, isn't just while you're doing nothing or, or swimming. Actually, buoyancy control is doing nothing. Just don't move. Go in the water. Don't move in proper trim. Just sit there. Very difficult for a lot of quote-unquote experienced divers, at least in their mind, they're experienced. Larry says cave training should include instruction that develops the student's personal control envelope, like he just Mm -hmm. described. And I want to go so far as to say this is my point from last week is if – the mainstream training would have taken this approach four or five decades ago instead of calling yeah. cave diving the bastard, unwanted child. Like, where would we be in the, in the game today? Like, like, it would be so much different. Oh, yeah. Embracing the techniques, it's the same thing we said. If the wreck divers would have gotten along with the cave divers, <laughs> if the egos would have shut their fucking mouths for a minute and sat down at a table and said, let's develop a... A training curriculum for the whole of the diving community that'll start them at day one with all these important aspects of technical cave diving brought into the recreational open water divers introductory classes. It'd be a whole different world. It'd be a whole different world. You wouldn't have somebody taking, you know... Of a fundamentals essentials no, class, it would kill with those their, classes with their mouth with their <laughs> mouth hanging wide yeah. open, going, "Why did I not learn this in day one, decades ago?" Mm. He says, "Once divers have mastered their basic control skills, they can achieve adequate awareness and better anticipate potential problems." Right, that's the whole point. It is neither the equipment nor the configuration nor training alone that makes good divers. It's the diver's discipline and their abilities to stay within their personal control envelopes. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you can put it any better. That's a yeah. great way to look at it and a great approach and kind of encompasses everything we've been saying. I mean, Preach on, brother. Preach on. <laughs> Father Larry. I think he's a and I, he, and he's and I love, father. I love how he always comes back to attitude. Right. Attitude is the key, he says. To become a good cave diver, a person starts with the right motivation, seeks good training to learn proper techniques, develops and maintains skills through regular practice. Mm -hmm. One of the most important character traits to becoming a safe cavern or cave diver is developing a proper attitude for this activity. It means being conservative with dive planning in the beginning and gaining experience in a slow, progressive manner. Cave diving certification is not the end of the cave diver's preparation. It is just an introduction to a career-long practice of maintaining and improving skills. Yeah, and that that attitude involves keeping your ego in check, especially that you're listening to a guy like Larry Green, who is one of the most humble people I've ever met. And has a a resume that'll blow you away. Yeah, that attitude, right? Meaning you're disciplined, mm-hmm. right? You're you're 
you've told yourself you're not going to be complacent with your training, with your skills. You're always going to make yourself work to be the best. Yeah. That's part of having that good attitude and going into each dive with the, with the thinking of knowing that scare story that you heard before and I'm not going to be the one. I'm going to put in the extra work needed to be the overly safe one, maybe, but the smart one that it, that can be a good example for everybody. Right. That's why you keep that ego in check because the ego will tell you, you don't need to do those little basic things. You're too good. You've been doing this. Look at your resume. You can go as far as you want. You can do as deep as you want. You don't need to practice. That's a waste. That's for the little people. Right. And this is interesting that here he's talking about someone who wants to go cave diving. Which often the case for, unless you live in Florida and grew up around the springs and immediately know that you want to be a cave diver, Mm -hmm. for most people, it's they're a diver. Mm -hmm. They've done a couple trips. They're an advanced diver. They're a rescue diver. They're a dive master. They're an instructor. They're a master instructor. They want to, you know, look, even back when you look at Larry, when we did that interview with him, like he said... That was him. Like he had every specialty Mm -hmm. that you could possibly take. And then as his instructor said, well, there is this thing called cave diving you could do. And he's saying there that when you want to learn cave diving, right, it's the beginning of learning. Yeah. Of learning. Now, Now, go backwards and tell that to the guy at the instructor level, the... Oh, dive no, master did. level. Oh, no, you did I've didn't. got my advance card. Oh, no, you didn't. You did not even go there. You know who I As, am? Do you know who I am? You should You should practice every day. As if. As if. Practice what? I am. I'm in the pool every day. I have 14,000 dives. Wait a minute. That is not mathematically possible. I have 500 open water dives. I have 13,500 pool dives. Attitude includes being honest with yourself and your dive partners, he says. We must agree that individual divers are primarily responsible for their own safety. Thus, divers must know their own comfort zone and maintain it. When diving in a team, divers must honestly disclose their abilities and experience levels. Thus, Dives may be planned around the least experienced member's comfort and skill level. As we say all the time. But nobody wants to admit being the new guy. <laughs> right? And, and that's, how, that's how problems happen. And that's how people get in trouble, right? It's called ego. Yeah. Ego. Solid diving skills and adherence to standard procedures improve preparedness for emergencies and reduce the chances of emergencies. Practice your skills, he says. Practice them purposefully as if the dive were happening. Good advice. Right? It's not just get out and, yeah, I did some buoyancy control and I did an air share and, I, you know, you know, we made an ascent. No, you do them perfectly and purposefully. I, I like that word even better. Do them purposefully as if it's really happening. Larry says never become complacent. Believe that anything can happen at any time. In a large number of accidents, trouble arises from an inconsistency in the following proven guidelines. A future consideration in the evolution of training for overhead environments would be the establishment of minimum standards for the various overhead training levels, such as... um, Such an initiative might entail a training alliance summit with the various training directors of those agencies that have overhead programs. Kind of like you just said, Mm -hmm. like if everybody got together decades ago, we'd be be in a different world. It would be like the Garden of Eden in diving. All smiles and lollipops. He says... From the uh, the previous couple of articles, we learned that in recent years, the numbers of untrained and even trained divers uh, among fatalities are almost even. In the past, he said, untrained divers dominated the numbers. Perhaps the message is getting out about the dangers of cave diving. Perhaps the message keeps untrained divers out. Or perhaps access to caves may be more restrictive than it was 30 years ago. 
But what about train divers who died in caves? Did their training fail them? I was just going to say, to me, that shows the training needs to be kicked up a few hundred notches. <laughs> right. If, if that number's, you know, the trained divers versus untrained divers, all of a sudden the trained divers number jumped way up. Well, is it a is it a paradigm that cave divers go through similar to the open water diver, right? You get that full cave level and now you're definitely superman <laughs> you're invincible yeah right versus uh, it, it, it's the same thing that a lot of open waters experience not all but a lot of open water experienced divers they get their open water card and they think they can do everything because they're always patted on the back they're always given a handshake mm -hmm. the dive master always takes them a little bit further than their certification really shows <laughs> that they have yeah. Right, yeah. so they get this false sense of security and this ego building. Right, the ego is stoked in most diving circles. It's never put into check, and I think that's what Larry's saying here. He says, "My job as a cave diving instructor and instructor trainer is to make it safe for all who undergo our training courses, and to ensure that all our trainees develop skills and once again, he says, attitudes." That will help them stay safe when they dive into the beautiful, cool, dark spaces underwater, right? It is a beautiful, wonderful space, but you got to have your ego in check. That's right. He closes off by saying, it is often a difficult journey choosing between the path of what is right and what is easy. If you choose overhead training, respect yourself, your family, and your friends, and the environment. Develop a discipline of consistency with maintaining the equipment, skills, and procedures necessary for safe cavern and cave diving. Cave diving is not for everyone, but those who choose to, but those who choose to pursue this sport should realize that overhead training involves continuing education. And I think this is what we've been saying, right? You say it all the time, diving isn't for everyone. If it was... You Every wouldn't want to do it. That's the kind of the draw that you have, right? <laughs> right. And I, I think that's the same thing. Like we can say that too is if you're going to just become an open water diver, you should also have respect for that. Respect for yourself, respect for your family who wants you coming home every time, and not just take for granted that that's why you got the $1,000 beeping computer <laughs> so that you'll never run out of air and you'll always come home safe because it's going to beep at you if you start to miss your safety stop. No, you should take on that respect and that discipline of knowing and being able to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a responsibility you have. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I, I think you should also have a, and I think our listeners do, especially the, the listeners that give us the five stars. Maybe not the ones that give us the one star. <laughs> There's a couple right? of those clowns. Right. The, the ones, the people that have given us a one star, right? They want everything to still be bubble gum and happy puppy dogs and no one can ever get hurt. And it's scuba, man. It, it, you know, buy the fancy pretty gear and look at the pa you know, fancy yeah. pretty sights. And it's all travel and wonderful and pretty and rainbows. Right. The people that give us the five stars realize what we're saying, that it's not about quantity, it's about quality. quality. Thousand percent. That's why those motivations like elite instructor, instructor programs and whatnot, all based on numbers. Yes. It, it, shows, it shows nothing about the quality of diver yeah. you put out. It's detrimental to the, the entire industry. That's all that is, in my humble opinion. It, it does nothing to help the industry. It promotes fast food scuba instruction. Yeah, agreed. Well, hey, that was a pretty cool article from our good buddy, Larry Green. And if you guys were if you guys were listening to the Pandemic Madness tournament last year, you will know that Larry Green ended up winning that tournament. He took the trophy. He took the took trophy. He didn't literally take the trophy because I still have it. <laughs> and we have to pass it on to him. And, <laughs> but he, yeah, he, he ran away with it and rightly so he's, uh, 
a fantastic diver and a great instructor, full of knowledge, and just a super nice guy who's at our Zoom meetings occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Super humble, super quiet guy, uh, hangs out at the Zooms from time to time, um, and and then all of a sudden, man, he just opens his mouth and just drops some science on the people. He drops it's, it's some knowledge it's... on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> And then he then he then he drops the mic and, uh, <laughs> and he walks off with his <laughs> he's, bourbon. He's gone, he's gone for a couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly. He's had enough of uh, us. Always fun though. Yeah, always fun. Great guy. Awesome. Good, great people. Yeah. Uh, Tina too, you should say. Oh yes, well, and, 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 and his wife Tina, Tina comes out. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to Tina. All right, everybody. Well, hey, that's week three of Cave Diving Month. We hope you guys are enjoying it. We certainly are. This is a good one, not only for you cave divers out there, not only for you divers who are thinking about trying out some cave diving or cavern diving in the future, but hopefully every one of you, even just open water divers, can walk away from today's show with a little bit of understanding of that value for the respect of being underwater, the value of discipline, the value of never becoming complacent, the value of having the right attitude. That's an awesome takeaway from today. And continuing education. You never stop learning. You never stop e- even learning. Even Larry no says who that. You the, are. the veteran of veterans. So Yeah. All right. Well, hey, no logbooks yet. This dive is still going. We will see you guys next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel. Safe diving, folks. Yeah.